One of the difficulties of uh, being at a place like Grace when we're so connected with Campbell and we just live in the 21st century is that people are in and out, people come and go all the time. Uh, and sometimes it feels like we can't even say goodbye sufficiently. So I rarely, almost never make mention up here that there's someone visiting with us today or that type of a thing. But my old college roommate is here, Wes Smith, back here. And I just wanted you to know that. He's going to be with Allison and me tonight. Um, please get to know him. He's been a principal of Christian schools for many years. And he's going to be starting a, a Bible college in the Dominican Republic so get to know him. I need to warn you, Wes is a liar, so don't believe anything he says about <laughs> the things of that first year that we were together there in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad to have you here, uh, Wes. And Wes uh, also went through, I, I just learned this recently. We haven't been in touch for over 15 years, and I just learned that Wes went through the same trial that I did. He lost his wife several years ago. Uh, he ain't found anybody yet, so we'll try to work on that too, you know. The Lord has blessed me and with Allison. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but up until about 10 years ago, before 9-11, Christmas music you would only hear just a little bit on the radios. Maybe they'd play a couple on Thanksgiving, and after Thanksgiving, one or two uh, here or there, then as Christmas got closer, you'd hear an increase in the number of Christmas songs that were being played on the radio, and then uh, it, they'd play it all day, Christmas Eve and Christmas, and they'd say, this is our gift to you. I like Christmas music, so that's how I know about these things. But on September 11th, something changed. You know, this song David was singing a while ago, David and Leanne were singing a while ago, if this is true, everything changes. Well, everything changed in America on September 11th. And we're somewhat back to normal now. But even still, there are repercussions of that day. And on November 1 of 2001, the radio station started playing Christmas music. They said, we just need Christmas a little bit early this year. We just need to go ahead and celebrate it. Um, they've been doing that ever since. Now, last year... I tuned in on November 1 since I like Christmas music. As far as I'm concerned, it officially, Christmas officially starts the day the state fair moves out of town. So I'm, I'm good in late October. But November 1, turned it on, no Christmas music um, last year. November 3rd, somebody got nervous and I guess they started playing it. This year, November 20th, we're moving back to more towards normalcy, I suppose. And many of you think, well, that's a good thing. I don't want to hear that mess before uh, mid-December. But it's an interesting comment, don't you think, in 2001 when they say we just need Christmas a little early this year. I suppose one of the reasons that I've always celebrated Christmas early is because my grandmother conditioned me to do so. I mean, she would start in November saying, you better go check on the back porch. Santa Claus might have left something. And sure enough, there was an orange, you know, or a penny toy or some little something just that was left there on the back porch. And so uh, there was this incredible buildup in our hearts and minds. My sister and I would just loved Christmas. And <clears throat> many ways, when you think about it, in November, when I was just a child, and even now when I still am in many ways a 58-year-old child, I am longing for Christmas, and in many ways it's already here, but not yet. I'm still waiting 
for the big day to arrive. And when I was a kid, those packages with my names reminded me that it's not yet here. In fact, they mocked me, it seemed like. You know, they were just calling at me and saying, <laughs> you can't open me yet. You know, there's just something about Christmas that draws us in and fills us with expectation. But we're not celebrating Christmas at Grace Community Church this year like America celebrates Christmas. We're celebrating the Advent season. The word Advent means simply coming. It, 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 this, anticipate, this season anticipates, of course, the coming of Jesus Christ. Before he came, God's people were longing, looking for the Messiah, looking for deliverance. And when he came, they didn't recognize him because he was offering a different kind of deliverance than they desired. Their lives were filled with misery and they said, please, someone deliver us from this. But as we look back 2,000 years ago on Jesus' first advent, now we anticipate his second advent when he comes back in judgment and he sets all wrongs to right. He comes back as a conquering king to gather his people together and to administer justice to the world. That's when he'll restore things, all things to the way they were before the fall. Well, we're taking a little break from our Acts 29 uh, series. I had planned last week to, to be that. Thank you so much, Jim, for taking over. I called him at 7 o'clock in the morning. Had the worst headache I have ever had in my life. Just woke up with it. was so nauseated. Uh, told Kristen Kinsey she's next up. And she said, okay, we'll have a movie. That's what she said this morning before the service. And popcorn, too. So don't be praying that I'll get another one of those headaches. Maybe something else keeps me out. A flat tire or something, but not a headache. But... <clears throat> We were planning on continuing talking about our church purpose, but we'd put that on hold and, and until the first of the year. Right now, we're going to focus on Advent. But in this Acts 29 series, you'll remember that we have been discovering the primary storyline of Scripture at almost every turn in the Bible. We'll see that full storyline again in our text, our short text this morning, Romans 8, 18 through 25. The storyline, of course, is, could you say it in your sleep now? I hope so. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God created the world and it, it was in a perfect order. It was in perfect order. Everything was perfectly placed. And then it, was, it all fell apart at the fall when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus came and offered redemption to those who would believe in his name, repent of their sins and believe in his name. And one day all things will be restored to where they were. As we celebrate this Advent season, Jesus coming into the world and into our lives, bringing us into his story, we think about Jesus' death on the cross as a substitution for our sins. And when we are redeemed because of the blood of Christ, then a lot of the the, the, the consequences of the fall are mitigated in our lives. They're softened, they're lessened, they're, they're not entirely removed, but a lot of things change. The, the chief of which is that now God's pleasure and His blessings are directed toward us, whereas before His wrath was rightly directed toward us. 
But when we believe Jesus, we allow him to receive the wrath of God. Well, he received it at Calvary. And when we stand in Jesus, we stand completely forgiven. And now when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus, not our weak, sorry, sinful selves. And when he sees Jesus in us, he is pleased. I want you to think about that for just a moment. One of the effects of the fall that keeps on going is sin. We continue to sin. We will continue to sin until the day we stand before Jesus. If you belong to him, and I'm not trying to give you an excuse for sin, believe me. There's plenty of warning in scripture against taking this lightly, this life that we have, this relationship we have with Jesus. But if you love the Lord and yet you are struggling with sin and there's something that's just eating you up, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus and he's pleased. That's the gospel. See, this story comes over and over in our lives. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Even though we belong to Jesus, we've been redeemed, we think the fall is in our past, we've been created, the fall's in our... We still struggle because Adam lives in us, Romans 5, as does Jesus, Romans 5, if you belong to him. And if so, when the Father looks at you, he is pleased. And that ought to motivate us to live as we should. Well, while there are many benefits of redemption in Jesus, not all of the effects of the fall were removed, such as sin, both out there and in here. But also sickness, famine, hunger, disease, war, shopping mall parking lots on Black Friday. That's all a part of the fall. It is. Now, I don't mean to make light of those other things, but I'm telling you, even the smallest frustrations that we have, losing our car keys, that's part of the fall. Futility that was placed into this universe when Adam and Eve sinned. One day, though, none of those problems. When Jesus comes back at his second advent, all wrongs will be made right, and never again will any pain or sin affect us in the least. All will be perfect, better than it was even before the garden, because we will have been redeemed by Jesus. And when the New Testament writers refer to that day, they refer to it as our hope. That's what we're talking about today. Our hope in Jesus. <clears throat> if you've never put your trust in Jesus, then let me encourage you to do so today. If you don't know what that means, talk with me. Talk with anybody that you've seen on this platform today. Talk with one of our elders. Talk with the person who encouraged you to come here today. And say, what does that mean? I want to know about that. What does it mean to be rightly related to God through Jesus? We want more than anything for you to know the peace and the joy and the hope that we have this day. If you've already trusted Jesus, then this day should be quite an encouragement to you, no matter what your circumstances are. Our text is Romans 8, 18 to 25. We're going to look rather briefly at those verses, then we'll read through the, re the rest of this remarkable chapter in Scripture. And if you got the email earlier this week, you know that we're going to be spending some time after that 
just sharing. We typically do that on the day after Thanksgiving, sharing what the Lord has been doing in our hearts and lives. So we'll be sharing this hope that we have in Jesus with one another and building one another up. That's our tradition on Thanksgiving. Another tradition we have is to stand as we read God's Word. If you would, please stand. And we will read Romans eight eighteen to 25. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us. We'll talk more about that in a minute. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, because I'm not going to mention this during the text, during the sermon. Let me just stop and say, God is the only one who can subject the creation to futility in hope. Satan didn't subject this creation to futility. God did it, but he did it because of his righteous, righteous justice, his righteousness, his perfection, when sin was... Entered, when sin entered into the scene, he had to do that, but he did it in hope. Saying, even though you've messed it up, I'm making a way. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we want that to be true. That we wait with patience for Jesus to come again. For his second advent. For all the, the sin and the, and the pain to be gone. And for us to live with you in glory. But Lord, the suffering that we face so oftentimes overwhelms us. As we consider this morning how suffering and, suffering and glory go together. Encourage our hearts. Turn our Attention toward heaven, which ought to change the way that we live. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Our text begins, well actually, if you want context, our text begins in Romans 1.1. I mean, it is just, it's just almost impossible to take any portion of the first Eight chapters of Romans 
and say, okay, let's think about this today. It, it, it all goes together. It is a progression that begins in Romans 1, 1 and goes all the way through. And, and 9 and the rest of the chapter continue on with that, but especially these first eight chapters. It's just difficult to do this. But the portion we're considering this morning begins in first, verse 18 with a pairing of concepts that seem totally unrelated, opposite ends of the spectrum, in fact. Suffering and glory. If you've never seen this before, you will be amazed at how seldom you see one of these words in the New Testament without the other. It's stunning, in fact, how often suffering of those who follow Jesus is connected with glory. God's glory and His story being played out, which again... we've talked about so much this year. It's helped me so much to think about, this is not my story, it's his story, and I get to be a blessed participant in that story. And now when when, when the crud happens, I can say, Lord, this is a part of your story. It doesn't make sense to me. But rather than saying, oh, my story's all messed up, it's his story, and it's not messed up because he's sovereign. And glory accompanies suffering, especially as we suffer Well, but often there's a comparison between when we suffer and when all suffering will end. But on the other hand, it's not really a comparison, is it? Paul says, I consider, that means, it's it's, it's a very strong word in the Greek. It means that I have calculated carefully and I have come to a firm conclusion. And he says, I have concluded without any question, that the sufferings of this present age cannot be compared with the glory that awaits us. Can you compare a small cup of water with the ocean? You can, can't you? But we can't compare our sufferings with the glory that awaits us. In other words, we have absolutely no faculties, no ability to comprehend the glory that waits for us when this day is done. Now that meant something to those who first read or heard this letter. They lived in Rome and the potential for persecution was on everyone's mind. It hadn't happened on a large scale yet, but but they knew how things worked in the Roman Empire. And at any moment, they could be suffering from extreme persecution. So the hope of eternal life was precious to those people. So when did the hope of eternal life become precious to you? Of course when you were saved. Of course when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. All of a sudden, there was a reason to live and there was this excitement about your eternal destiny. But as you settled down to live this life, this new life in Christ, it looked good. I mean, all of a sudden, colors were more vivid. And it was like you were alive for the very first time, especially if you trusted Christ after 16, somewhere in the 15, 16 years of age where you'd had enough time to recognize what life is without Him. If you trusted Christ before that, man, I wish I were in your shoes. I really do. Do not think that's a bad thing and that you've got no testimony, none of that stuff. What a great thing that you trusted Christ early. But if you did a little bit later, all of a sudden you came alive. 
But it's time passed for all of us when we know Jesus. All that this world has to offer begins to look pretty good again. Only this time we're living in the world with Jesus in our hearts and heaven in our future. What could be better than that? So, life is good. But that car accident or that trip to the doctor, when everything just goes surreal, or that meeting with the boss who said your position is no longer necessary, you are a, in effect, you are a redundancy. Or that spouse who walks in out of the blue, out of the blue and says, I want a divorce. I've never loved you. I'm not happy. Maybe it was that time that was the beginning of a turning in your heart toward heaven. Even if you didn't know it right then. In fact, your whole world had fallen apart. And you were in misery for a period of time. But gradually your thoughts turned to a better day. Not just a better day, but a perfect day. On that day, the effects of sin will be completely done. This day is passing. And if you think, my world has fallen apart and it'll never be right again, it doesn't matter. This world is passing. There comes a day. Now, don't, I mean, it matters very much in the way that we live our lives, all of that. But as far as in eternity, that doesn't matter anymore. There will be a day when it's all completely done. On that day, God's glory will be revealed to us, the ESV says. But most scholars believe it's better translated. That preposition is better in us. We will be invested with God's glory. Not sure of all the implications. Of that, but it has to be very, very good. In the meantime, we wait patiently with hope. You can't wait patiently without humility. Patience and humility are very closely connected in Scripture. We're not the only ones waiting. All of creation was devastated when Adam and Eve sinned so when our great 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 grandparents sinned in the garden god subjected the earth itself to futility with all of the universe futility rules the day in creation with its natural disasters and with with each one of us from the stockbroker on wall street to the mother in east africa facing a drought and just desperately trying to find enough food to keep her children alive But when the sons of God are fully revealed to be who they are in Jesus, when God's glory is revealed in us, that's when total restoration will occur for all creation. Then, glorious restoration. Now, groaning. And we know how the earth feels. We we groan right along. With creation. But as we groan, we have hope. It is not here yet because that wouldn't be hope, would it? We already have the promise. We already have the assurance of eternal life, but we do not yet fully experience life without sin. We anticipate it, though, with bated breath. 
When I was a child and my grandmother used to alert me to the goodies that were on the porch. Christmas was already there, but not fully. And that's the way it is for us right now. Christmas is already here this year, but it's not fully here. Now, that analogy breaks down very, very quickly. Because when the Christmas season comes and goes, look, Christmas, is, Christmas Day is anticlimactic in a lot of ways for a lot of people. It's like there's this great buildup, and then all of a sudden it's done, and then it's sort of back to business as usual. People become grouchy again, you know. And life goes on as it was before. That's not the way it's going to be when our hope in Jesus becomes reality. It will be marvelous beyond our wildest dream, and we will never for a second have the slightest doubt as to whether or not this blessing will continue. You know how it is when life is good? I mean, when it's just good, and you say, oh man, I'm scared something bad's going to happen. You won't ever have that thought. You won't ever worry about whether Jesus is going to change his mind about you. Whether there's going to be stormy clouds, stormy days ahead. Won't be any subconscious worries or fears. We will not question our unbroken bliss. For one second we'll be in the presence of our Savior. And the scars on his wrist and in his side will remind us that we're bought with a price. And that everything is okay, not only now, but forever. He'll never let us go. This Advent season reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus. Now we're going to take a few minutes and read through the rest of this chapter with just a very few comments. But then we're going to share the hope that we have within us. First Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We've talked a lot this year about interpretation and application. This verse was written to a group of people who were. This persecution, this uh, letter was written much later than uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And persecution in a major way was about to descend upon the church and everyone knew it. And so Peter was saying, look, when they drag you up front before rulers and they say, give us an explanation for this belief that you have that causes you not to bow to to Caesar as emperor and as a god. And he was saying, be ready. To give a defense of your faith, essentially, is what he was saying. It's interesting that Peter told them to defend the hope that was in them because of Jesus. So surely we can make application and share the hope that is within us to one another. I promise you, nobody will be dragged up front, and if your answer isn't good or your testimony is not good, you'll be taken off to be crucified or thrown to the wild dogs in the Colosseum. It's not going to happen this morning. So you can... Rest a little bit easy of that. So think about how you want to share with your brothers and sisters in Christ about this hope that God has given you. My goodness, these verses that we're about to read will likely stir our hearts to offer praise to God. Let's, let's begin 
in verse 26. Now he's just talked about the hope. <clears throat> and, and he says we wait patiently with hope. And here's one of the ways that we wait patiently with hope. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind. He who searches hearts is God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here's the deal. We pray, oh God, give me a job. I need a job. Please give me a job. And the Spirit says, Father, what He means is the perfect job is coming down the road. Right now, please meet His needs. And the Father says, I'm with you, Spirit. I, I don't mean to, 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 to be common in my thinking. It's just an illustration to help you understand what it means. The Father says, I am in agreement, Spirit. Let's take care of him. Let's take care of his family while he awaits the job. So, we only really make two mistakes in prayer. One is to pray so that we may consume things upon our lust. Oh, Lord, I just want that beach house. Nothing wrong with beach houses or whatever. You know, Nothing wrong with anything as long as it's kept in its proper place. But easily, we know when our hearts begin to lust for things that we don't really need. And, and God would not desire for us. Uh, if you have a beach house, I'd like to know about it. Um, you know, so it's okay. It's okay. But you know the point. When we consume, James 4 tells us pretty clearly. When we consume it upon our lust, then it's wrong. But then <clears throat> the other mistake is just not to pray. Don't worry about it. I don't know if I'm praying for the right thing. It's okay. The Spirit will take care of that. And the Father will answer, yes, according to His will. That's how we wait patiently, with hope. And then he goes on, verse 28. (laughs) And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And you can't read it without the next few verses. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son (coughs) in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestinated, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also what? Glorified. There's that concept that is just beyond us. We're invested with God's glory. But it's all a part of His plan. It's all a part of making us more like Jesus. That's His will for us as we wait in this life. That's our hope that we become more like Jesus. The passage that I wanted to read last week, 2 Peter 1, talks about that we have been made partakers of the divine nature. It's beyond us, really. It doesn't mean that we become God. It just means that Jesus comes and lives in us and gives us that power that we don't have in ourselves. It's, it's just divine. But we'll talk more about that the first of the year. We'll, we'll come back to that. So this, this is desire. Now, now look at his love and I'm not going to comment from here out. We'll start in verse 31. And then 
get ready to share the Lord's goodness in your life. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's the way it is. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, that pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's give praise to Him. Let's share His goodness.